Welcome to the Athlete's Compass Podcast, your North Star for mastering endurance training and holistic health. Join us each week as renowned sports scientist and founder of Athletica.ai, Paul Larson, along with athlete, coach, and sports scientist Mariana Rakai, and coach and cyclist Paul Warlowski, guide you through the maze of often confusing training principles. Make sure your compass is ready. Class is now in session. Hello and welcome to the seventh episode and third in our series on recovery of the Athletes Compass, where we navigate training, fitness, and health for everyday athletes. We decided to do three episodes about recovery because it's so important. We stress our bodies. We need recovery. In the first episode, we talked about how to monitor recovery and health. In the second, we talked about sleep. But we talked last week, or Paul mentioned Alistair Brownlee and how he said that sleep was 90% of recovery, nutrition was another 9%, and other strategies were the last 1%. So since we talked about sleep last week, let's do these last 10% and let's talk about nutrition and other modalities. Paul, can you talk about how nutrition plays a role in recovery for everyday endurance athletes? Sure. Are there, are there recommendations that you have or supplements or things like that that we might talk about? Well, I think, you know, really almost like Athletica does with the training is the, you know, it's the fundamentals are, are, are the key, the key aspects. So what are the fundamentals of, of nutrition? And we need to have, uh, you know, some components of macronutrients, which are the, carbohydrates, fats, and proteins, and that all have various different functions. And you have to have these micronutrients, which are, you know, things like vitamins and minerals, and there's thousands of them. And then, um, and yeah, and you need, uh, and you need water as well, good, good, clean water. So these are, these are sort of the fundamentals of, of nutrition that should, um, should form the basis of any, any human's diet, ultimately. Unfortunately, the situation isn't pretty, Paul. And if we look to um, globally to the world, and you know, uh, again, uh, the paper I've done with Dr. Phil Maftone and uh, multiple papers, we've shown ultimately that uh, you know about eighty percent of the world is what we can we we term over fat. And um, and they're overfat because they're malnourished for for the um, for the most part, so they're not getting adequate quantities or um, of these macro and micronutrients. And you know the biggest cul- culprit is is sugar and processed food at the end of the day. And um, and yeah, like to to keep things super super simple is uh, you know. It is is basically you just need to to consume what Mother Nature is providing for for you, what Mother Earth is providing for you, and um, unfortunately, we when we look to the grocery stores, they are um, that's not totally how we are nourishing ourselves. The middle aisles tend to be laden with uh, commercial creations. Frankenfoods, and uh, only towards the outer aisles um, are 
tend to be more of what mother earth has provided us. So yeah, to keep, to keep things super simple, that's the, that's the big picture of, of what we're dealing with. So there's no quick fix. (laughs) (laughs) So basically you're, you're saying that we need to eat and drink a good balanced diet of things that are more naturally available to us. Yeah, that's really it at the end of the day. It's it's so boring, Paul. And <laughs> I, um, but how do you go and do that? Like, how can, yeah. how is it possible that you know? Let, let's just say eighty percent of the world. Let's say we're right with our with our stats on these papers. And how is it that eighty percent of the world is not appropriately doing this? That's remarkable, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. And it's, you know, sure, it's not all nutrition. There's a lot of other pollutants. You know, Mariana will tell us a lot about, you know, the what big city pollu- pollution can really be all about and, uh, you know, how that potentially influences your health. We talked about sleep in the, in the last episode. That influences your stress levels and then how much fat you're going to store. But the majority is for recovery as well and, and overall human health. Um, yeah, is is eighty percent of us are not appropriately uh, consuming foods that allow us to recover optimally. And I think if I can add to that, I can kind of think this as a like a society problem. We want to be comfortable. We want that quick fix without thinking what it does to our health. Like we. We want to sit in our car and drive to place B and get our supper or now after COVID, every, everything can get delivered to your house, right? We no longer go to farmer's markets because we have these big grocery stores in our neighborhoods. Um, we don't have walking paths because, you know, our governments didn't think that walking is important. Uh I think it's like a more of a societal problem that we're kind of fighting against promoting a healthier way. And yes, healthier way might take a little bit more time to prepare by actually decreases the time of spending in a grocery store. I hate grocery stores. (laughs) That's like my least favorite thing to do is to go to a grocery store. But as Paul said, just go outside. Don't even go in the middle as much as possible. And as a mom of three, like I, I'm trying to teach my kids to like, okay, if you eat cereal, how do you feel a couple of, you know, couple of hours after at school? And now they've started to notice the difference. Like, okay, mom, if I have eggs and bacon in the morning, I can go like, easy the whole school day or until lunchtime which my older kids have later without feeling hungry but if I eat this sugary cereal in the morning I'm hungry one hour later and I noticed um, now that I've gone more of a low uh, low carb diet that before I would eat breakfast with the kids like 6 30 7 o'clock and then after dropping the kids off at school 8.30, I would be hungry again. And I was supposed to go do a workout. So I would have to like eat a snack before the training. And then after training, I was hungry again. <laughs> so 
I've noticed a huge difference that I'm not as hungry anymore as I used to when I was stuffing my face with all these, you know, high carb things like we promoted to. <laughs> Can you give us some examples, Mariana? Like what are what are some of the foods that you maybe used to eat that maybe you eat less of today? Bread. Born and raised in the Nordic countries, bread is a huge thing. Although the bread, I would say, in the Nordic countries is a little bit healthier than North America. And I don't eat oatmeal anymore like I used to. That was my go-to breakfast before training day was oatmeal. And then I would add berries and peanut butter and whatnot to add in some, you know, protein. Um and during the training, we women, we're lucky that way that we can always stuff more food <laughs> in our in our bra. So I would stuff, <laughs> I would always have like sandwiches there or grapes. And <laughs> um, <laughs> that has caused some funny stories, what I pull out of my bra, but uh, yeah, now I can go six hour bike ride and only have like a, uh, some nuts, usually almonds and um, walnuts next to me. Um, it, it's, just, it's just a huge difference. And I noticed that in my recovery too, like I'm not constantly, it's so funny. You see, you see like runners and triathletes post on uh, social media that they are hangry all the time like going through a marathon block or big training week, they're always constantly just eating. And I'm like, no, you don't have to. No, <laughs> you really don't have to if, if you um, add in a little bit of those healthy fats like avocado and olive oils and nuts. And I, I've noticed a huge difference in recovery. So what are some of those most important nutrients that endurance athletes need to consume? Or I don't want to say should, but optimally would consume in their diet for recovery? Well, I think Mariana hit the, the key one, good fats. So we're talking, you know, essential fatty acids, um, you know, omega-3s. There's a balance of omega-3s and omega-6s that you'll get in, you know, many of the good quality fat substances that Mariana was talking about um, usually if it's you know that comes with animal fat so um, you know if you're having uh, animals um, animal protein sources they'll usually come with uh, with with natural fat that you that you want in your diet so you know just think about uh, think about fish for example right that's going to come with laden with omega threes and um, but even in the even in the, you know, if you're consuming a, uh, you know, fattier end of a chicken or, uh, or, or uh, beef products, um, there's lots of fat that's in those cuts as well that are, that are good quality. Um, and then over to the, you know, to the protein is, is so, so key as well, right? So the building block, block of protein are amino acids. We have essential amino acids that we need, uh, essential meaning you can actually get them through um, like they must be be attained through through the diet. Your body can't produce them. 
So you can only get those through, um, uh, you know, certain, like, I believe, you know, animal products actually, um, there's, there's vegetarian options, but it's just not, uh, maybe not as, um, uh, not as complete. So the complete protein might, you, you, I, I believe an egg is, so if you're lacto-ovo vegetarian, um, but vegans can have a harder time getting um, adequate amounts of protein. Also um, over to the micronutrients, the B vitamins um, are one of the key ones that, um, you know, B12 in particular is so important for energy metabolism. Um, and also the heme components, the iron levels, that are in red meat are also so vital. We see, we hear so many uh, athletes suffering from anemia uh, or, you know, they're low in, in, in red blood cells. If you're low in oxygen carrying capacity um, due to, you know, low levels of, of, you know, of iron or, you know, heme components that are in your, in your system, you're going to feel fatigue, right? You're, this is all going to contribute to um, poor hormonal regulation, and eventually will bring bring us to those downward spirals of um, you know not sleeping well, et cetera, et cetera. So um, yeah, this is why you know as again Alistair Brownlee said, you know nine percent is nutrition, right? We need to be thinking about eating on the outer aisles, eating whole foods, um, and especially uh, you know good balance of of um, uh, good quality, uh, you know free range if possible meat products uh, for your for your proteins and you know vegetables as well with um could yeah, you clarify they, they come what, with the micronutrients sorry could you clarify what you mean, meant by heme products or sure so heme is is another word for iron okay so iron yeah so um like hematocrit like yep. is oh. is how is how many um you know uh, red blood cells you have in relative to the plasma component, say for example, um, hemoglobin. So that's the, it's the, it's the iron component. So iron is the micronutrient. It's the cation that carries the, um, the, the oxygen to, and drops it off. Basically it takes it from the environment out through your lungs, gets pumped through the heart, gets deposited in the, all your cells, but in the context of exercise, we think about it often in the in the mitochondria, the powerhouse of the cell in our muscles to give us the energy that we need. So if you're feeling flat, um, you know, a lot of times coaches and doctors will take a blood test and they'll have a look at these markers. It's probably the first marker that they'll have a look at if, the, if you come in feeling really, really low. Let's have a look at your your, um, you know, let's do a, a, um, a red blood cell panel, right? And we'll have a look at all the various different components of your red blood cells that, that are in there. And if those are low, that's, a, you know, a, and they often are as a first point of call in individuals that are presenting that are a little bit flat, a little bit, you know, low in energy. It's, it, that's one of the big culprits. And the solution often is finding ways of getting those, that iron back in the diet. And if you, you know, again, if, if you are coming in with, uh, on a vegetarian diet, that's a very, that's a tough, tough ask. Right. And I, I work with a lot of vegetarian athletes and it's always a hard battle, um, to figure out a ways of getting more heme, uh, iron in, into the, 
into the diet of those athletes. We are what we eat. I really should have started with that, right? So <laughs> it's it, it it's there's just no there's no magic about it, right? Like it's just it, there's a lot of common sense in this whole thing. We it, you know. I'm looking at you guys on the screen and I'm looking at myself and uh, we are the products of the last, uh, you know, a, approximately the last year of, of cell turnover. We're the products of our diet over the last, the last year. So hmm. Every cell in the body just gets turned right over. Even though we, we look similar to what we were last year, there's a whole um, breakdown, catabolism and anabolism buildup of of the whole process that's on in this whole circadian rhythm that that cycle keeps happening um red blood cells are a classic example 120 days uh, uh lifespan and they will die and then they'll get rebuilt after after every 120 days well, all your other cells are on a similar time course um of that so you literally are what you eat you're looking at looking yourself you're looking at your last uh you know your last year of of food it's all sitting on you Wow. So for what well, having been having been in the lower end of the, the normal iron uh is it ferritin um stores, um I'm always thinking what should I eat? So I know for vegetables, spinach, beets, potatoes have higher content of uh, iron, I believe, and then there's liver products, uh, which not many people like. Uh, I quite enjoy them. And what else? Beef, of course. Um, but also, what a lot of people don't know is that caffeine can um, decrease the absor absorption of uh, iron. Am I correct? Or... Um, I wasn't aware of the caffeine issue. Okay. Yeah, it, it's possible, but I was just, I just wasn't, wasn't aware of that one. Okay. So yeah, but I, but you nailed it on the sources. Those are all, I mean, I'm sure we could go into detail on, uh, you know, getting a, getting a full complete list of the various different products. But to my knowledge, uh, the most bioavailable levels of iron in your food uh, and again, this is what we try to do with athletes that are presenting with low, um, you know, they're, they're anemic, low iron. Um, they come to me and, and we, we try to convince them to have more of the liver or the, or the, um, uh, you know, or the beef products. Um, and then potentially from the vegetable standpoint is way down in terms of bioavailability and what you'll take on, but it's then, then the, um, uh, then the, the spinach and the, and the various different vegetables, it's just not even on the, on the same level, right? Like it's up here versus down here. And, um, and then there's the, the pill forms as well, right. That you'll often get supplemented um, uh, on by either a GP or a nutritionist, but again, the bioavailability because of all of these various different, um, you know, co-transporter molecules that, that are involved, um, in the natural versus what just can't be provided in a pill, pill form. Although you'll, you know, we'll be told that vitamin C is, is, you know, in, you know, just take a vitamin C tablet with your iron tablet. Well, you know, sure, but it's just not, uh, I'm afraid it's not the same. Mm -hmm. uh, again, we're, I don't like the whole 
strategy of treating the symptoms and well what's the what's the cause of the symptom right like what's the fundamental cause and the fundamental cause must relate to something we're doing something different that's not natural in us and to me what's natural is again i've i come from an evolutionary health sort of training background so i believe that we need to think about how we used to um operate on the in the world you know back 10,000 years ago and whatnot before um you know farming and ag and all this kind of came came to came into play so one of the one of the interesting strategies that we we use in some athletes is that can't stomach liver like like you and i can mariana but it is to but they will still they'll 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 try it is actually to um cook liver cut it up put it in the freezer uh, and cut it up into little pill forms and you cut up and they cut up liver into pills and they put that in the in the freezer and then basically um at a regular um regular dosage they just take the um liver as a pill and they just swallow it and it completely reverses the the anemia and they can stomach it as well and they just take that as the um as as the pill right like that is a way way better solution so we use that in the uh, new zealand olympic program with a number of the athletes that had that exact same problem so common Mariana, you've had some experience and trying different technologies for recovery that other methods that that show promise in enhancing recovery for everyday endurance athletes um you want to talk about some of the ones that you have done besides focusing on on nutrition sure (laughs) (laughs) uh my highest recommendation go to getting a rescue dog and doing walking a lot of walking in the nature that's very high tech (laughs) no um one of one of the things that um when we first started uh, working together paul was you recommended floating and uh having read this book i'm gonna do a little talk for good to go Mm -hmm. that was interesting book and one of the the recovery methods that she um evaluated in this book was floating so i was a little bit skeptical because i thought like getting into a pod for an hour me and my monkey brain <laughs> how is that gonna go but i find because i i'm I, I think this is my theory i think that i'm my nervous system is a little sensitive and I experience world um, high degree, and I take everything in and process it constantly. And I, that's why I think also sleep is so important for me personally. Um, but getting into that chamber, total complete darkness, just hearing my heartbeat, I thought that I was going to freak out. <laughs> but I did, but I didn't, and it was such a lovely experience. And I just kept, you know, in the beginning, I just kept thinking of my breath, just try to keep it calm. And when I came out of that after ten, after sixty minutes, it was like a night and day 
like I swear all my because what what the floating is is basically taking all your sensories away, like uh, sensory deprivation. I think it's called. And I walked out of there, and I swear my eyesight was better. I could smell better, and all the everything, like hearing everything, was, and I felt so calm, like so refreshed and energized. The only downside was that I had 30 minutes in Dubai traffic after. <laughs> so that was just kind of like, okay, try to keep this. Yeah. <laughs> so if I, could, if I could have my dream house, like the prop, I would have a, a little pod in my, in my house to uh, do a, a floating session every week or whenever my monkey brain takes over. But walking, I, I think that's, um almost as good depending where you are um if you have beautiful nature and mountains or ocean like i find always walking by a water a body of water always calms me down um that's a really good one too and just sometimes just sitting there on a tree stump and looking at the leaves and let the nature come to you that's all i need to recover you know, and that's interesting because when I when I read Good to Go, what I understood from what she said is that sleep is the most important and that works. Nutrition works. The other elements, there's not a lot of necessarily evidence that they do work. But the two parts that she talked about was that with the float tanks, with meditation and those kind of uh, things, we calm ourselves down. Plus massage, uh, compression garments, those kind of things, they um, give a, a, they can give a placebo effect where we think they're working and therefore they do. Um, so, Paul, I mean, is there is there science behind this? I mean, are any of these technologies like the float tank, um, like compression, is there science that's emerging from them? Um, is there enough to find value in doing them besides the placebo or the relaxation effect? For sure. So, again, so some, some yes and some no. And... Uh, what really matters at the end of the day is what works for you. So if something works for you, you believe it works, you're getting a placebo effect from it, whatever, if it, whether it's real or not, it's, if it's, right. if you feel it works, then you're going to do it. Right. Like, so massage is one of the, the greatest ones with that. It's really hard to create a, uh, a study that's, that can dem demonstrate the efficacy of, of massage, because what are you going to do for the placebo or sorry, or, or the control condition, right? Mm -hmm. Like you, you, you can't blind, you can't blind it. Right. Um, now that being said, they have done blinding versions, at least like alternate, alternate, um, things like a, a couch for like a couch condition for things like the float tank. Um, and, and they've, they've even compared it to, uh, you know, drugs as well. And they've found that like the float tank and this, this, this research is done predominantly by the Laureate Brain Research Institute, big, huge MRI machines, et cetera, um, out of Oklahoma, 
uh, Feynman is the author and that's his center there. It's, yeah, it's just phenomenal. But, but basically, um, yeah, there's, there's, there's actually a lot more research than you'd think into sensory deprivation tanks. And again, just to, to be clear, these, these tanks, if you haven't had that experience, it takes away the, the experience of gravity because you're floating in, in a, uh, a tub of Epsom salts. It's completely dark in there. And, um, again, that's, um, that's wild for, um, for some people like Mariana, when she would probably even a first imagining she's going to be in this. Some people have this, this level of anxiety where they can't even like comprehend getting into this thing. That's a classic example of, um, you probably need it actually. You'd probably really benefit from that if you're anxious about even thinking about the process of going into one of these tanks. So have a think of that. Um, but yeah, no sound, no sight, no, no influence of gravity. And, uh, and yeah, and you, you, it takes a lot of time, maybe half the time for your monkey brain to settle down. And then Mariana even mentioned the process of intro reception, basically you hearing your, uh, organs doing their job. For for example, you might hear your stomach contracting and moving its food through your digestive system. You can listen to your heartbeat. You can hear your your every every breath. It's really really quite wild from that perspective. And all of these are, I, I guess, just ways of putting you back in tune uh, with your body. And we tend to lose that in today's tech tech age, and you know, with distractions and just you know. Every everything. So I'm I'm going all over the place, but but that one has a lot of science. Compressions, not a whole heap. Um, I think clinical depression. Sorry, clinical compression. So there's a uh, different levels of uh, uh, pressure ultimately, and like clinical compression ones where they're really squeezing. They've shown a little bit of something. Um, but again, if it offers a placebo, then great massage. I think there's a lot there to massage human physical touch. Um, and the neurological thing is, uh, I don't care if they, if they haven't demonstrated that one, it's recommended. If you can get it it's recommended by all, I recommend it for all my athletes. Um, especially for a, you know, a good therapist is worth their weight in gold, you know? So they have uh, also almost your psychologist too oh, like yeah. if you find a massage therapist shout out to my old team in dubai they become your friends and yep. it's 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 just so much more than just the massage agree agree yeah so um those those would be the big ones um over to you know your your forte paul with your massage or sorry your yoga like yoga is a great a great form of recovery in my opinion just to um to facilitate mo um mobility especially as we age that's a great recovery one uh i can't i can't uh yeah emphasize how much better i feel when i've done just a few yoga poses like it doesn't have to be vigorous or anything but you know, just some, some classic, uh, you know, classic warriors, downward dogs, um, you know, uh, up dog, all these sorts of things, right? Like, yeah, they're very, um, what my sitting body needs on a daily basis, right? Sitting or, or cycling, cycling body. I need to, need to move it in some opposite, opposite poses, move some hips and hips and hamstrings. And, and, uh, talking about yoga, I think also like, the mind part of yoga and breathing, like moving 
your body in sync with your breathing is so good for us. <laughs> but uh, I wanted to ask you, Paul, how did you, because you're coaching yoga in your endurance, uh, simple endurance coaching business. <laughs> how did you get started with yoga? Well, well, you know, and, and yoga has been a part of what I have done as an athlete for a lot of years because you know, if you ever see any of my yoga, I mean, I'm about as awkward as they get, you know, when you have that Instagram model, that's not me. You know, I, I've broken a lot of bones in my life and, and I don't move that well. And so yoga, um, you know, I went and I got my, uh, instructor's license and certification because, you know, when I was 52, I think, because I didn't see a lot of of older guys who didn't move very well, um, teaching classes and I needed to help and other older guys who didn't move very well and other humans not who didn't move very well, see that, you know, yoga is a really effective tool, not only for building strength, but for recovery. And now, you know, that's something that I do with all of my athletes now is that I offer a, a Monday night recovery session where we just move for 15 minutes at the most. Um, and it's just a way of, of centering, um, of breathing where you move according to your breath. And there's that mobility that comes into it with your hips and your shoulders and all the different directions that we don't move um, very often when we're running and, and cycling. And I find that yoga, you know, I, I'm sure that if I didn't do yoga on a regular basis, I wouldn't be able to ride my bike and I wouldn't be able to run because I would just be arthritis. I'm sure would build up so much in my shoulders and all the places where I've broken things. Um, so it's an integral part of what I do for recovery as that active recovery. So do you think that, you know, Mariana, one of the things that you have talked about is, are there, are there gender differences with recovery modes that, that might be out there? Are men and um, women different in some respects? That That's kind of a ongoing debate in my head. Um, I read somewhere that ice baths um, are not beneficial for women while they are beneficial for men. Uh, but I have a completely different experience from ice baths. And um, last year when I did Ironman Finland, two days after I went to the swimming pool where they have ice baths at, or the cool, uh, cold uh, pool, I can't remember what the temperature is, but it's like at four degrees Celsius. And then they have a warm tub next to it. So you go 30 seconds in the cold one, and then you go for two minutes on the warm one. And I kept doing that like five times. <laughs> I love the, the feeling of tingles in your, in your toes <laughs> when you lose like feeling when you're in the cold bath. But when I went to the pool, my especially my quads were so sore from Ironman that I couldn't really walk very well. But I walked out of the 
pool like completely normal and I met met up with a friend uh and went for a walk in the nature and I was so mind blown how well my range of uh, motion had returned just from that one session so maybe I don't know Paul if you know if there's gender differences in recovery modes like ice bath or anything else can you think of yeah I, I mean you know, I, I'm, I reflect a little bit on the study that Philip is doing um, with Miracare uh, and looking at the various different, uh, you know, hormone differences um, in, you know, but but I'm, I don't think there's huge ones. Um, yeah, I, I, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a good question. We, I think we might save that one and ask, uh, Ask Philip in the in the in the future, but I don't think there's any any hard evidence at this point in the game. Um, I'm reflecting on my you know my Wim Hof experience of my cold water immersion, and uh, yeah, it, to me there's something there with just a, a resetting of your whole central nervous system, your whole whole hormonal system. Um, I'm I'm thinking more of the mind. Every, everything sort of starts with the mind, right? When the when the mind is, you know, um, I guess capable of the, the through the HPA axis, hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, we see the, um, you know, all the downstream hormones do their um, do their things correctly, and uh, it controls the stress. And um, I would imagine uh, females would be similar in terms of controlling their stress. Uh, and I'm not aware of the research suggesting that there's a negative effect in in females. With there's always an individual component. So some males will probably feel they don't benefit from the cold water immersion, and, and like likewise, some females might find that that is too much of a stress, right? And we we know of again with the cold water immersion stuff. There's uh, cold shock um, syndrome where you can actually have a shock to your system and you, you, you ultimately stop functioning. And, uh, that's, that's not a, um, like you just have a hyper sympathetic kind of reaction to it and you, you just almost become paralyzed, which can cause drownings and these sorts of things. Right. Ooh, so yeah. caution always with, with these sorts of things, the, you know, the video I demonstrated a couple episodes back, episodes back, be cautious if you're, if you're doing these types of things and, um, yeah, my, mindful progress, progress the stimulus. Um, but yeah, I'm not totally aware of, of, of gender differences, Paul. So here are the takeaways that I've, there's been a lot that we have talked about, but one is the nutrition, water consumption um, are, are, are really critical elements in recovery so that we are planning our fueling to support our activities, getting um, good protein and fats to really aid recovery. Number two, yoga meditation, breath work. These are all uh, free and useful tools for everyday athletes. Um, ice baths, there's there's a whole host of other uh, modalities that will um, help you. But that leads to number three, regardless of whether the science is necessarily proven it, like massage, if something feels like it works, the placebo effect, it's real. 
and it will work for you. And whether it's relaxing, whether it's uh, a real scientific effect, it doesn't matter if it feels like it's working, it does. That is all for both the recovery series and for this week. Thanks for listening and join us next week when we talk about well, you will find out. For Mariana Rakai, Dr. Paul Larson, I am Paul Warlowski, and this has been the Athletes Compass Podcast. We hope you enjoyed another episode of the Athletes Compass Podcast, your guiding light through the complex world of training for your endurance sport. For a deeper dive into the science, listen to our companion podcast, the Training Science Podcast, and check out the AI Adaptive Training Platform Athletica.ai. Thanks.